Well, it's great to be with you this morning. This morning we are taking a break from our series in 1 Peter for a standalone vision sermon on spiritual practices. Our main text this morning will be what Sam just read, uh, John 15, as we really look at the idea of home together. When we move to a new place or if you move into a new house, it can often take a while to feel at home there. And that was certainly our experience when we moved into our house in San Francisco. Our uh, first morning in our home was, was quite eventful, to say the least. I'll, I'll spare you all of the details, but at about 6 a.m., uh, my wife Sunny and I found ourselves locked outside of our house, while our son Jude, uh, who was about a year old at the time, was locked inside. <laughs> we found ourselves in our PJs, barefoot, holding his monitor and wondering how we had this low moment in our parenting. <laughs> and so, like any responsible dad, I pulled up our car. I had the car keys, but not the house key. It's a long story, as I said. Um, I pulled up our, our car into our front driveway, and I got um, onto the roof of the car to climb onto our little balcony out front of our uh, living room window. And I created a second problem. I got stuck on the balcony. <laughs> And so at this point, we just call the fire department to bail us out. <laughs> they come sirens blaring, uh, and it was a great way to meet our neighbors. Here's the silver lining, though. Jude slept through the whole thing. My son did not wake up somehow. <laughs> and so we certainly did not feel at home in our new house our first day there. Not by a long shot. It took us some time. It often feels time, takes time to feel at home somewhere. In many ways, the Christian life can be summed up as the process of learning to be at home in the love of God. Learning to feel at rest and safe and secure in the love of God. Right in the midst of the, the chaos and the complexity of daily life. The problem is that it's often easier for us to understand that in our heads than in our hearts. Brennan Manning writes in The Furious Longing of God, every Christian knows that God loves him or her. Unfortunately, that fact often remains a tenant or a tenant of the mind. And until it gets into your heart, it remains information. Once it gets into your heart, it results in transformation. So how do we get the love of God from our head into our hearts? How do we learn to be at home in the love of God? That's our focus this morning as we look at John 15 together. And the main thing that we'll see is that we need spiritual practices because these rhythms of resistance help us to be at home in the love of God. For some, spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices may be something that you're really comfortable uh, with engaging for others, it might be something that's newer or maybe even something that you uh, push against a bit. But whatever your starting point is this morning, uh, my hope is that you will personally explore practices of being with Jesus over the coming months. And that as a result, you will find yourself at home in the love of God. So that's where we're going this morning. Uh, and as we go there, we're going to consider three things together. First, a vision for discipleship. Second, a vision for being with Jesus. And third, a vision for spiritual practices. Let me pray and we will jump in.
Father, we recognize that you are present with us right now by your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see you for who you are and your great love for us. Father, I pray that we would experience your love even this morning a little more deeply than we ever have. And Father, I pray over the coming months that we would just find ourselves increasingly at home in your love. In Jesus' strong name, we pray. Amen. Would it be better for me to use a different microphone? Are we okay? Different mic? Okay. Let's see if this guy will work. How's that? Is that better? All right. Great. We're in business. So first, a vision for discipleship. One of our distinctives as a church is that we are disciples who make disciples. We care deeply about discipleship, ultimately because Jesus cares deeply about discipleship. Some of his last words to his disciples before leaving earth uh, were this, go therefore and make disciples. Read that in Matthew 28, a familiar passage for many of us, I'm, I'm sure. And last words carry a lot of weight. When someone says something on their deathbed, you know it's important. We know that discipleship matters greatly to Jesus because it's one of the very last things he talks about before going back to heaven and leaving earth. And so if we want to take Jesus's words seriously, then we need to really understand first like what discipleship is, what a disciple is. And you can define disciple a lot of different ways. This morning we'll focus on this simple definition. A disciple, a disciple is someone who orients their life around three goals. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Now, notice that those three goals can't be accomplished in a classroom. They can't be accomplished through a curriculum. They can't be accomplished just on a Sunday morning but they actually require all of life. Jesus didn't just teach his disciples at a synagogue on Sunday mornings and then tell them to have a great week, but he invited his disciples to follow him and spent three years opening all of his life to them. And so I want to discuss together what this looked like uh, using our knowledge of the gospel accounts. Based off of your kind of knowledge of the gospels, uh, how did Jesus' disciples spend time being with him. What are some examples of that that we see in the Gospels? There's a bunch. Eating together, yeah. What else? Yeah. Sleeping, yeah. Hopefully not sleeping together, but yeah, sleeping. <laughs> yeah, all right, what else? Praying, yeah. Mm, yeah, they experience a full range of emotions like fear together. Yeah. That's so great. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they slept. What else? Anything else? They asked questions. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next one. How do they become like Jesus? How do we see their character kind of change over their time that they spend with him? How do they become like Jesus? By observing? Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. A major inward transformation there. Yeah. That's actually great. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they were really formed by his teachings. Absolutely. Uh, and then we kind of were hinting at this some. How did the disciples ultimately do what Jesus did? Like, even think beyond the Gospels into the book of Acts. Like, how did the disciples start doing the very things that Jesus did? What are some of those things? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and what were we going to say? Yeah, I made a lot of sacrifices to, to follow Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. The what? Yeah, the Passover was uh, now fulfilled in Jesus in a, in a different way. Um, and you see the disciples, like, in so many ways. Just, like, they start preaching with power and authority that they didn't have before. They are working miracles. Like, there's all these things that Jesus did that now the disciples are, are doing. And so... Notice, though, that as we kind of talked about this, the disciples didn't start doing the things that Jesus did on day one of their discipleship journey with him. They started by spending time being with him. And this led to them becoming like him and eventually being able to do the very things that he did. There's this ancient Hebrew blessing that says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And the the meaning behind that is that if you wanted to become like a a rabbinical teacher. You would become that teacher's disciple. And it would be a great blessing to follow that rabbi so closely that you would be covered in the dust, kicked up by their sandals. And so that can really be true of us as we follow Jesus, that we would spend time following Jesus so closely, enjoying being with him, that it would transform us. It would transform us from the inside out and would lead us to be able to do the very kind of things that Jesus did. And so this morning, we'll focus, though, just on our our first goal of being with Jesus because this goal is a foundation for all the rest. As we spend time being with Jesus, we'll subsequently become like him and be able to do the very things that he did. And so if you have a Bible, open it up to John Uh, 15, or you're welcome to follow along on the screen. I'm going to read just a portion of uh, the passage from earlier, verses 4 and 5 in John 15. Jesus says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to draw our attention to that word abide. It's used almost a dozen times in John 15. And many of us, I'm sure, have heard multiple sermons on this passage. It might be a familiar concept to to some. I just kind of want to hone in on one dimension of the word abide today, the dimension of home. The word abide can also be translated as abode or dwelling place, Abiding is really about where someone is making their home. And so what Jesus is saying here is saying, hey, come and stay at home in me. Make your home in me. And to appreciate the significance of of what he's saying there, I want to zoom out a little bit and consider in the story of God, uh, where God abides in different movements of the story, where he dwells in different movements of the story. 
Uh, We've done this together in our journey through Romans 8, uh, but I thought it would be helpful for us this morning. So as we think of the first act of God's story in creation, where does God abide? Where is his home? With man? Yeah, and where? In the garden, right, in the Garden of Eden, okay? And then the fall happens. Tragically, humans are kicked out of the garden, but then time passes. God commands Moses to make a tent for him to dwell in. Uh, What's that tent called? Anyone know? Tabernacle, that's right. Eventually, tabernacles were placed with a more permanent structure. Uh, What's that permanent structure called? The temple. Uh, And then we get to Jesus, and he says something centuries later that's incredibly provocative. In John chapter 2, he says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Jesus is saying that he wants to destroy the building where God dwells. That would have been unthinkable to those in his hearing. Why would he want to do such a thing? Because his body was the new temple. He himself was the place where God dwelt on earth. And so then, just before Jesus heads to the cross, zooming forward a little bit more in the story as we move to the next chapter of kingdom, he makes an amazing promise to his disciples. In the passage right before John 15, in John 14, Jesus says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. God has made his home in us. We are now the place where God dwells. God no longer dwells in Eden or the tabernacle or the temple or in the body of Jesus on earth, but he now dwells in us. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Uh, He is no longer on earth, but his spirit dwells in us. His spirit has made his home in us. His spirit abides in us. And the way that you and I can be with Jesus today is through the Holy Spirit. John Mark Comer writes this. This means that the first and primary goal of discipleship is learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Spirit. That is the baseline for all life in the kingdom of God. Living in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Spirit. That's the point of the whole metaphor that Jesus is using here of the vine and the branch in John 15. And that's why Jesus is so emphatic about this. This is why he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a strong statement. Apart from connection to Jesus, we can do nothing of value in his kingdom. Just like a branch that's cut off from the vine dies, our spiritual lives shrivel up and die if we are not remaining near to Jesus. And so he invites us to abide in him, to make our home in him, just as he has made his home in us. Now, home can be a mixed bag. Uh, For some of us, maybe there's even some negative things that come to mind when we think of the term home, and that's super valid. 
Uh, just for a moment, though, I want to discuss together what concepts on kind of the positive side of the street come to mind for you when you think of home. What comes to mind? What do you think of? Safety, okay. Belonging. Was that? Comfortable, yeah. Provision. Hmm. Being known. Not anxious. Hmm. That's good. Relationship. I think of meals. There's so many beautiful things that come to mind uh, that home can represent for us. I love what everyone just shared. Brennan Manning writes, home is a place of welcoming love, non-judgmental acceptance, accompanied by many signs of affection. Welcoming love, non-judgmental acceptance, accompanied by many signs of affection. Do you feel at home in the love of God? Do you feel at rest and safe in the love of God? Do you feel familiar in his presence? Basil Hume writes, Christians find it easier to believe that God exists than that God loves them. Maybe that's true of you this morning. Maybe you know intellectually that God loves you, but it remains largely a tenant of your mind. Do you know in the depths of your heart how dearly loved you are by God? Maybe there's a part of you that feels like God will love a future, better version of you. A version of you that's a little holier, a little bit better, a little more disciplined with spiritual practices, has a few less sinful habits. The good news of the gospel for you this morning is that God loves you as you are today with all of your imperfections. One of my mentors says that God loves you as you are, not as you should be because you will never be as you should be. You are a beloved child of God today. And that's true of you if you put your faith in Jesus because nothing can separate you from the love of God. We read in Romans 8 this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death, not angels, not things present, not things to come, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to go to the cross so that there could be nothing to separate you from his love. He was willing to die so that he could make his home in you. You are the place where God dwells as a dearly loved son or a dearly loved daughter. And that is what's true of you. I don't know about you, but I want to experience more of that reality. 
How do we access, how do we experience more of this reality? It's kind of like stirred chocolate milk. Let me explain. <laughs> Growing up, I loved chocolate milk. When I think about chocolate milk, I can still taste it in my mouth a little bit. I haven't had it for years. I'm an adult now, but um, it's fine. I don't judge you if you like chocolate milk, but I've, I've moved on to mochas and other things. Anyway, um, in my house, uh, I would often make chocolate milk with my parents, and we kind of had a, a two-step process to this. My mom would take Hershey's chocolate syrup, and she'd squirt it in a glass of milk, and then I would, step two, stir the milk. And step two is really important because when you uh, put the chocolate sauce into milk, uh, it looks like a plain glass of milk at first. The chocolate kind of all just puddles at the bottom, and it requires stirring for it to actually become uh, chocolate milk in the fullest sense, to really enjoy the chocolate in the chocolate milk. We are kind of like plain milk. When we decide to follow Jesus, the Spirit comes to make his home in us. And there is nothing that we do to earn that at all. It's kind of like my mom squirting the Hershey syrup into the glass of plain milk. It requires absolutely nothing of the child. However, it's then the child's job to stir the glass to be able to enjoy the chocolate in the milk. Spiritual practices are like stirring chocolate milk. They just help us to experience what God has already put inside of us. They help us to make ourselves at home in the love of God. They help us to be with Jesus. And so as we've seen, discipleship begins by, by being with Jesus. That's really the first, the primary goal of a disciple. If you're new to following Jesus, if you're even wondering if you want to follow him, if you haven't decided to follow him yet, that's where it all starts, is just being with him. But that's also not the only goal of uh, following Jesus, not the only goal of a disciple. A disciple is someone who orients their life around being with Jesus, becoming like him, doing what Jesus did. And we need help. We need help to do this. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit, and that's why we have spiritual practices. We need spiritual practices because these rhythms of resistance help us to be at home in the love of God. So we've seen first a vision for discipleship, Second, a vision for being with Jesus. Now, third and finally, a vision for spiritual practices. If you're in a citizen's community, which is groups that meet in homes throughout the week uh, as part of our church, some might feel, uh, you might feel familiar with this because we've been starting to engage in spiritual practices uh, together this year. But this morning, we're just digging a little bit deeper. Uh, recognize for some, the language of spiritual practices also might be newer language. You might be more familiar with language like spiritual disciplines, but they both mean essentially the same thing. Habits or practices that help us to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. Habits or practices that help us to make our home in the love of God. And there's no official list of spiritual practices but in the top 10 are always things like silence and solitude and Sabbath and prayer and fasting and reading the Bible. And we need spiritual practices because, as William Paulsell writes, it's unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization of our own lives. But there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. I don't know about you, 
but I want that. I want a clear perception of God's presence throughout the day. I love that language. I want to feel more at home in the love of God in my everyday routines. And that won't happen in a casual or haphazard way because following Jesus, in some ways, is like walking up an escalator. I was recently in an airport with Jude, my son, who's almost two, uh, when he discovered escalators for the first time. And let me just tell you, wow. Like, it was awesome. He loved it. He was, like, riding up escalators, waving to people, smiling, giggles, laughter, joy. Like, it was incredible. Until he learned that you couldn't go up the escalator that was going down. When that happened, we had a bit of a meltdown in front of a bunch of our closest friends in the airport, and that was, that was not the best. Um, but, uh, you know, following Jesus in our city is in some ways like trying to walk up an escalator that's going downwards. Unless you're actively climbing up, going against the flow of culture, uh, against the narratives of the world around us, it's easy to drift down the escalator away from Jesus. Unless you're orienting your life around following Jesus, it's possible to just drift away in time because the pressure in our city and in broader culture to move away from Jesus is just so strong. And that's why spiritual practices are so essential. They serve as rhythms of resistance in our present moment. My friend and uh, Pastor, fellow pastor, Colton Mayo, writes, uh, in a consumeristic, overfed, never-enough Amazon culture, fasting is an act of resistance. In a loud, noisy, distraction economy culture, silence and solitude are acts of resistance. In an enemy-making, amygdala-hacking, 24-7 news cycle culture, listening is an act of resistance. In a quick-fix, ahistorical, personal and institutional forms of racism culture, Lament is an act of resistance. In a hyper-individualistic, anonymous, self-love, you-do-you culture, community is an act of resistance. In a rationalistic, data-driven, scientific method-dominated culture, prayer is an act of resistance. In a restless, work-addicted, anxious presence culture, Sabbath is an act of resistance. Spiritual practices are acts of resistance. They help us to resist the cultural current that pulls us away from Jesus. They help us, in a sense, to walk up the escalator. And while that idea or that illustration of walking up an escalator might seem like hard work at first, what they ultimately lead us to is to experience the easy burden and the light yoke of Jesus. They lead to a whole new way of doing life, unburdened and at home in the love of God. And that's why we need them. Speaking to this, John Mark Comer writes, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. We can have the life of Jesus. We can experience what Jesus called life and life to the full. A life marked by peace and love and joy and patience and on down the list. A life of inward shalom, an inward peace that spills out and brings shalom and peace to those around us. A life that's attractive to those who don't yet know the love of God and draws them towards Jesus and his tenderness and kindness. Do you want that kind of life? 
I know that I do. And we can have it because the Spirit has made his home in us. Because the Spirit has made his home in us, the life of Jesus is accessible to us. But it's not automatic. It's accessible, but it's not automatic. It requires the par- our partnership with the Spirit. If we want to adopt, if we want to uh, have the life of Jesus, we must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. We must adopt the practices of Jesus. Spiritual practices might be newer language again to some, but it's an old idea. Saints throughout the centuries have engaged in spiritual practices. They're a time-tested part of Christian spirituality, and it's important to note that they are a means towards an end. They're not an end in and of themselves. The goal is Jesus, being with him, becoming like him, doing what he did. And the moment that we make the practices themselves the goal, we give birth to legalism. But legalism is not inevitable. The practices are designed to be engaged in a grace-based way. Dallas Willard writes, Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. We don't earn anything from God through spiritual practices. Like a parent putting chocolate in a child's uh, glass of milk. It is a free gift. But we do have to put in effort to fully enjoy the gift. We do have to stir the glass. William Barclay writes in his commentary on John 15, the secret of the life of Jesus was his constant contact, uh, was his contact with God. Again and again, he withdrew into a solitary place to meet him. We must keep contact with Jesus. We cannot do that unless we deliberately take steps to do do it. For few of us, abiding in Christ will be a mystical experience, which is beyond words to express. For most of us, it will mean a constant contact with him. It will mean arranging life, arranging prayer, arranging silence in such a way that there is never a day when we give ourselves the chance to forget him. I love that. Constant contact. Arranging our lives that we never give ourselves the chance to forget him. It all comes down to learning to be two places at once. Learning to eat your breakfast, whether that's your granola with almond milk or eggs or cereal or whatever your thing is, learning to eat breakfast and be in the Father's presence. Learning to walk to work or bike to work or open your laptop lid to work and be in the Father's presence. Learning to respond to Teams messages or Slack messages or emails and be in the Father's presence. Learning to respond to a crying, disobedient child and be in the Father's presence. Learning to enjoy a meal with someone and be in the Father's presence. Learning to enjoy a walk through Golden Gate Park and be in the Father's presence. Being two places at once. And that's a simple idea, but it's super hard to do. And so we need support. And that's why our vision as a church is that we will engage in spiritual practices together. In a culture of you-do-you spirituality, a Jesus spirituality is by nature communal. And that's why the New Testament often uses metaphors like family and body to describe who we are as the church. As a church, we want to move in the same direction together with spiritual practices. And so we're going to 
engage collectively in several spiritual practices this year. We'll continue to engage Bible reading uh, this quarter, and then next quarter we'll focus on service. So this quarter is really about being with Jesus. Next quarter is about doing what Jesus did. And you'll really see this integrated throughout the life of our, of our church. We'll begin each month by talking about a spiritual practice in our Sunday gathering, and then we'll explore that practice more together in our citizens' communities. Uh, then we'll be invited to engage that practice on our own, reflect on how it's going uh, in our huddles, and then on the last Sunday of the month when we have four Sunday feast where we gather to share a meal, we'll get to just celebrate what God has done, how he's met us, how we've enjoyed being with him through spiritual practices. If you are not yet in a citizens' community, that's going to be really central uh, to how we engage this journey together. And so if you're interested uh, in getting connected to a citizens' community, please just come talk to me after the gathering. I would love uh, to share with you how you can jump into uh, one of those groups and get connected. Looking at this month specifically, our hope is that we read the Bible not just for information, but for spiritual transformation. Not just to get to know more about God, but to get to know God more himself. The Bible reading practices we've engaged so far uh, this year, uh, January was Lectio Divina and February Emmanuel Journaling, might be unfamiliar to some, might even sound kind of weird to modern people, uh, but we chose them intentionally because they really emphasize time with God. They emphasize being with Jesus. So often it's easy for Bible reading to become a means to an end. I'm sorry, it's easy for Bible reading to become an end in and of itself. It can be done as a task. Uh, but these practices are intended to slow us down, to make space for God's presence, and a space to really engage the Bible as a means towards the end goal of being with Jesus, of finding ourselves at home in the love of God. And so the long-term goal is that we would organize our lives increasingly around being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. The short-term goal, right now, this week, when you wake up tomorrow morning, is that you spend a few minutes being with Jesus through the scriptures. And you might try that out a few times this week. When I think of being at home in the love of God, a picture that often comes to mind for me is that of a parent holding a child. I had the rare opportunity to have Jude nap on me yesterday after our members meeting uh, that we had yesterday morning for those who are members of the church. Uh, Jude's nap schedule was a little bit thrown off, and uh, so that meant that I had the opportunity for him to take a nap on me. And it was a really beautiful moment as I just looked at how safe and at ease uh, he felt in my arms and that place of just protection that he found uh, in, in my arms. And I remember in Jude's kind of first months of life, often just kind of peeking in and seeing Sonny hold him and uh, just this, this beautiful thing that for a child, their parents' arms are this just ultimate place of safety and refuge. Will the same be true of how we experience God? Will the same be true of how we experience his love for us? Would it be a place of safety, of refuge, of protection, of home? Would we find ourselves increasingly at home in the love of God? This is something that takes time and it takes practice. But wherever you are at this morning, if you've not yet decided to follow Jesus, 
He loves you. He wants to be with you. He would invite you to come to him. If you've been following Jesus for years, for decades, there's still more. Wherever you're at this morning, there is more of the love of God for all of us to discover. And so let's stir our glass of chocolate milk. Let's personally explore the practices of being with Jesus and find ourselves increasingly at home in the love of God. The best part of following Jesus is Jesus. And so let's enjoy being with him together. I'm going to pray as the band comes forward. I'm sorry, not as the band comes forward, as we move into uh, response. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. That is so much more than we could ever imagine. Father, I pray even right now, you would just give us a sense of your love for us. You would give us a hunger to experience more of your love for us. And Father, I pray that a week from today, a month from today, a year from today, we would find ourselves even more at home in your love. God, would you help us to experience the greater depths of your love that you have for us, that you've freely given us. And Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, that there is nothing that we have to do to earn your love, that it is a free gift that you have given us because of Jesus. Would you help us to enjoy the gift? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.